As you're seated, I just wanted to clear it up. I already had several questions asking if I was the twin brother of the Brian that wears glasses. Uh, the answer is no. I have in contacts this morning that I, I normally have worn most of my life, and I'll be wearing those uh, weeks to come. Um, let me pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you for its clarity and for its power. We, pre- we pray that you would please come by the power of your spirit and that you would teach us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, if you would open your Bibles to page 907, in a couple minutes, we're going to be looking together at John chapter 21, the, the reading that Deacon Kyle just read for us a moment ago. Again, that's John 21 on page 907 of the, the uh, Bibles in your seats. But as we get started, uh, I want to tell you about a story of a buddy of mine. Uh, one of my friends named Chris, uh, when he was in his first year of college, he and some buddies were sitting around their apartment and they were talking about their favorite movies from their childhood. And, and people started saying this movie after that movie. And somebody mentioned E.T. For our interns, I'll explain in a, later what, what E.T. was. came out in 1982. Um, but someone mentioned E.T. Everyone's eyes lit up except Chris. And Chris just kind of looked around confused. And he said, E.T.? I always thought of that movie as kind of a downer. And they all looked at him like, what? And he said, you know, this is kind of a bummer. You know, Elliot, the, the boy gets sick and, and E.T. gets sick in the hospital and dies and then it ends and it's just kind of a, a sad movie. And they all looked at him and said, Chris, that's not how E.T. ends. And so what are you talking about? And they said, you know what happens? Like the, they go and they, they commandeer a, a truck and they get E.T. out of the hospital and he and his buddies fly on the bikes in front of the moon into the forest. E.T. gets on the spaceship he goes home, and it's just this amazing ending. And Chris said, what are you talking about? And what had happened, apparently, is that um, Chris had watched E.T. for the first time when he was four years old. And he was so sad when he saw E.T. in the hospital dying that he just started bawling as a little boy. And he was so upset that his family couldn't keep watching the movie, and so they turned it off. And they tried to tell him it was going to be okay, but he had just tuned everything out. And so Chris had never known that E.T. lives. And he had grown up and he was 18 years old thinking that E.T. had always ended with that scene of him in the hospital. Now, I tell that story to point out that when it, when it comes to the best of stories, everything hangs on their ending, doesn't it? doesn't matter whether it's a movie or a, a play or maybe something we watch on television. It's, it's the best of stories in which the ending ties everything together. And to the extent that when you change the story at the end, I should say, if you've ever seen a DVD, for example, with an alternate ending, when you change the ending, you're not just changing the last scene, are you? But you're changing the whole movie, the whole story, because the, the ending affects how we interpret everything that's come up to this point. Now, here's where this connects to our series today that we've been in, in John's Gospel. We've been in the series called Questions of Jesus, uh, if you're new, for the last number of weeks. And we've been looking at questions that Jesus asks different people and the interactions that he has with them and asking, what what do his statements and the things that people say 
back to him, tell us about Jesus and his identity and his mission and his purpose. And as we continue today, as we look at this passage um, that Deacon Kyle was just reading for us, in the same way that if you take out the last 15 minutes of E.T., you get an entirely different story. When it comes to John's gospel, if, if, if we take out what we see in this passage today, the, the resurrection appearances of Jesus, then we get an entirely different story altogether. Today, our question that we're going to look at is the question you might have noticed when he says, children, do you have any fish? This is one of the last scenes in the story of John, or story of Jesus in John's gospel. And in it, Jesus appears to the disciples, again, this is for the third time that he is appearing after he's been crucified and after he's died and is buried. And through this question that we're going to look at today, we're going to see what is the role that the resurrection plays in Jesus' story in John's gospel. In other words, how does the resurrection confirm Jesus' claims about his identity, about his purpose? How does it do those things? And if John were to end without that sort of confirmation, so if John were to end in chapter 19 with him dead and, and, and lying in a tomb and, and with, with Jesus' bones there today, would it change the meaning of his life? And if so, how? That's what we're going to take up for the next couple of minutes. So let's take a look at that now. Some of us have read through John's gospel all the way and, and if you haven't, you should know that th this passage is one of several that we have in which Jesus is appearing to the disciples in his resurrected body. And remember what's been going on in the story of John. Jesus has been crucified. You might remember last week, um, Kevin had us looking at this, this passage in which Jesus is asking about, should he not take the Father's cup? Okay, he's talking about taking on our judgment, the, the, the judgment of those who put their faith in Jesus and, and Kevin mentioned, we see this exemplified on the cross. And so that's where Jesus has been. Again, he's, he's died. He's been put in the tomb. And then if you've read John before, the other gospels, you know, now Jesus starts appearing to people, but it's not just a hallucination. Okay, and it's, it's not just in a dream. Jesus has got a body. Okay, so he appears to Mary Magdalene. Then he appears to the disciples, including Thomas. And then in, in chapter 21, we see him again appear to the disciples, and now he's, he's serving them a meal. So what happens? Uh, seven of the disciples are at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. And Peter says to one of the other disciples, I'm going to go fishing in verse 3. And the other disciples say that they're going to join him, and they go out with him. But as the passage points out, they catch nothing. And then in the next verse, in verse 4, it says it's early in the morning. The disciples are in the boat. They're about 100 yards off the beach. And then someone's on the beach, and we know as readers, it's Jesus. Okay? And, and they don't know it, but he is now calling out to them, and he's asking them, children, children, have you caught any fish? And they say, no. And so what does he do? He tells them to throw their nets out over the side on, on the right side of the boat, and when they do... They've now got so much fish, they can't pull it in. And so they're just left to do what they've got to do, which is they're, they're towing it behind the boat. Peter's so excited that he recognizes it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. And, and you know, 
Peter's a great guy. He just leaves his buddies to do all the work in terms of towing all the fish. Finally, they come in on the beach, and as, as they get onto the beach in verse 9, there's Jesus, and Jesus is waiting for them, and he's got a fire going. Okay, he's got some charcoal lit up, and, and they come onto the beach, and now in verse 12, he's, he's saying to them, come, ha- come have breakfast. And so the one that just a couple chapters ago was washing their feet is now serving them again, but now he's serving them food. He's serving them a meal. Now, if you're someone who knows little about Christianity and you're reading John's gospel for the first time, you know, you know what we notice when we look at this story and when we look at the final chapters of John's gospel. Jesus does not want to leave any doubt in anybody's mind that he is alive okay? and that he's got a body. So there's no ambiguity about it. So, so we don't read about the disciples like looking in a mirror and they think they see Jesus back over their shoulder and they turn around and like... The, He's gone, you know, or we don't read about the disciples reaching out and um, to touch him and and Jesus just kind of disappears as they reach out. Jesus is there with a body. He's got Thomas, you might remember in in John 20, touching his hands. He's touching scars. He has Thomas reaching into his side. And then he's on the beach. He's telling people where to find fish. They can hear him. They, They can see him and now he is handing them their breakfast. It could not be any more vivid. Now, if you're reading John as a narrative, this point is pretty hard to miss. Jesus desperately wants people to know he has been raised from the dead. And that's why the resurrection is so important if you take these passages out of John, out of John, John 20 and, and John 21. And if, if John ends with Jesus in a tomb... We don't just get a story that's kind of different. We end up with a story that is so different that even an atheist could say, this is not Christianity. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, Some of you know the name Christopher Hitchens. So Christopher Hitchens was a very well-known British author and journalist and literary critic. And um, he was was very well-known for the books that he wrote against Christianity and critiquing Christianity. He wrote a book that's called God's not great. And it was on the New York Times bestseller list. I want to show uh, a question and answer from an interview in which uh, um, a woman who's a Unitarian minister uh, sat down with Hitchens and she was asking him about the nature of the Christianity that he writes against. And what I've asked the AV team to do is to put up behind us both the question and his answer. So notice her question. She says to, to Hitchens, the religion you cite in your book is a generally fundamentalist faith of various kinds. She says, I'm, I'm a liberal Christian, and I, I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of the atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? So she says, look, this is the kind of Christian I am. You're always writing about these kind of Christians. Do you make a distinction between me and them? And look at the way that Hitchens answers, and think about particularly the role of the resurrectionist answer. He says... I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not in any really meaningful sense a Christian. Now think about that. Hitchens doesn't believe that Jesus was resurrected, but but he knows that if you don't believe in the forgiveness of sins and and if you don't believe 
uh, that by Jesus' resurrection, we as human beings have been rescued from what the Bible calls the human predicament. He says, it's not that you're necessarily, quote unquote, a, a, a liberal Christian or a, or a different kind of Christian. He says, you're just not in any meaningful sense a Christian. That's how important the resurrection is. Now, the question that we should then ask is how, how could the role of the resurrection be so important that even someone that rejects Christianity altogether could appreciate that role that much? What does it do in the Gospels? And the answer, as we were seeing at the very beginning this morning, is that the resurrection, it's, it's about what the resurrection confirms. Okay, so, so the resurrection is more than just a plot twist, like a really moving twist or a profoundly symbolic act, but it affirms things about Jesus. Okay, so one, it tells us that Jesus really was who he said he was. Okay, he says he's the son of God. We've seen in John's gospel, he's debating with people all the time about his identity and he's equating himself with God. He's calling God his father and people don't like it but it's affirming, no, this is true. And second, not only does it confirm that, but it confirms that what Jesus claimed he was going to do, he did, which was die for people's sins and show that he had actually conquered sin and death, okay? that he had conquered the grave. And so here's, a, here's another way to look at that. Any religious leader could tell someone that they're going to die and that they're going to die for other people's sins. It's one thing to do that. It's an entirely separate thing to say, you know what, I'm going to die for your sins and then I'm going to rise from the grave to offer your life on the cross and then to come back and to be sitting with other people on the beach serving them breakfast. That's how important it is. If you were here two weeks ago, you remember that one of the things that we said is one of the most important decisions that any Christian can make is whether the claim that the Apostle Paul makes in Romans 8.28 is actually true, and that is to believe that God is actually working all things in our lives, the good things and even the painful and the difficult things for our good, for the good of those who love him. But I think the Apostle Paul, if, if he were here, would say that above and before that, the most important decision that any person can make is whether or not Jesus Christ actually was actually raised was raised from the dead. Because if I think Paul would say, if he wasn't, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then it doesn't matter whether or not Romans 8:28 is true. Okay? Because, because he wasn't who he said he was. And, and really, Jesus then has to be either a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis has said, or a liar, okay, or Lord. And so, as we finish today, there, there, there's two groups I want to address of, of those of us who might be sitting in this room. And I, I know there are at least a couple of us here today that are continuing to try to assess Christianity and, and maybe wondering, I'm not really sure about this or about that. And I want to suggest to you that there may be different reasons that you're wondering whether or not you can believe that Christianity is true. It might be the Bible's teachings on certain um, sensitive cultural issues. It might be that you understand that if you begin to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. And you might be wondering, I'm going to have to decide these things before I can decide whether or not to follow Jesus. And here's, here's what you need to know. To go back to Hitchens, 
that's not the place that you need to start. The first question that any of us need to be asking, to go back to him, is whether or not this person, Jesus of Nazareth, really was who he said he was, really was the Son of God, really did die for the forgiveness of sins, and really was raised from the dead. Because friends, if those things, weren't, if those things aren't true, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Okay? That's the thing that, if, if you're in the situation, that's the thing that you need to figure out first. And then you can get to the other things. Was he really the son of God? You know, did, did he really die for the forgiveness of our sins? Was he really raised? And, and if not, Jesus is really just like any other religious figure in history. He may as well be like, like other important people, whether they be Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius, just other people that made a, important statements and teaching. But if, if, again, if those things are true, then what it means is now we have to take seriously the things that Jesus talked about. And ultimately that means we have to remember his teaching to Nicodemus that we saw a number of weeks ago as he said, look, if, if you want to follow me, you have to be, ter- be able to turn over all authority of your life to me because none of us naturally should have a relationship with God because of this thing that we talked about called sin. I will die for your sin. Put your faith in me. Look to me. And then you will be such a new person that we could even, be the, we could even use the language that you have been reborn. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a decision that a few of us are thinking about it and ultimately need to make. For others of us, you know, we might identify with Christianity in the sense that we might have grown up in the church and, and, and um, we're a Christian but if we were really pressed about it, okay, if someone were really to ask, to ask us what we really believe deep down, we would kind of maybe be tempted to give an answer like the woman who was interviewing Christopher Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens in the sense that we might see Jesus' resurrection as maybe something more metaphorical or, or solely spiritual than rather literal and not really essential to his teaching and, and to the legacy that he's left in the world in history. But do you, do you see the problem with this, according to John's gospel? If, if we take the resurrection as something that is simply metaphor or something that is simply spiritual, we change the ending of the story. And if we change, if we change the ending of the story, we change the whole story, friends. It's all different. We, we don't get to pick and choose. Or here's another way of saying this. Another way of saying that everything in Jesus's life and identity is resting upon this. Anyone here ever played Jenga? Okay, some of you know that game. Um, you've got a group of people around a table and you've got all these little wooden blocks in a tower that are all connected and, and th- they go up several levels and everyone gets a turn and as they reach out, they're trying to take one block from, from somewhere below the top and to take it out and they're trying to remove it out as carefully as they can so that the entire tower doesn't come crashing down. Okay? When you look at the story of John's gospel, the resurrection is not like the piece that everybody wants. Okay? You, know, you know what I'm talking about. The, one of those pieces that is so loose that you can take it and you can pull it out and it is so, uh, it's so loose and it's so insignificant to the structural integrity of that tower, you pull that thing out and that tower doesn't move a millimeter. Okay, and you just put it on top. 
That is not the, res- the role of the resurrection in Jesus' story. The resurrection is, is way more like one of those pieces that nobody touches. And that's one of those ones on the side at the bottom that you only touch if it's your turn and, and you have to. And, and why do you avoid touching it? Because you know, if you even begin to touch that little wooden block, that entire tower is coming down. That's the importance of the resurrection and the life of Jesus. And that's why even someone like uh, an atheist like Christopher Hitchens can say, if you don't believe in it, it's not that you don't believe in a different flavor of Christianity. You just don't believe in Christianity in any meaningful sense. And so in recognizing that the the analogy was pretty tenuous, you take out those last scenes of E.T., you don't get a hopeful and uh, magical story about a little alien from another planet. You get a tragedy. It's sad. It changes the entire story altogether. We take out the last scenes of John's gospel, and if Jesus' bones were found in a tomb in Palestine okay, from 2,000 years ago, Jesus isn't a great guy, and he's not some sort of inspiring moral teacher for even um, those who aren't Christian to be encouraged by. He is an embarrassment, okay, because he is someone that was deceiving people, okay, or he was just someone that was flat-out crazy. He's got to be one of those two, and as we, as we assess the resurrection, we have to either be willing to accept it and say, wow, we, this man was the most extraordinary man that ever lived. And now I have to think about the consequences of my life as I begin to follow him. Or we have to reject it and say, no, we, we, we reject the event and ultimately reject him. And now what I want to do for just the last couple minutes is I want to begin to wrap up our series that we've been in. And I want to do this by first reminding us where we've been over the last number of weeks, and especially for those of us who might even be visiting today or are new. And then secondly, I want to ask how you personally have been processing this journey that we've been in on John's gospel as we've been walking through it for the, first, uh, for the last seven weeks or so. So first, remember where we've been. And what I want to do now is I just want to look very quickly at these questions that we've seen And I want to imagine that each one of these questions and the interaction that we saw as um, almost a picture in and of themselves that that contribute to a a broader and bigger picture or mosaic of Jesus, all of them being a different framed part and playing a different role. So first question, remember what we saw when Jesus asked some of the disciples, what do you want? What are you seeking? You might remember we said that Jesus is showing himself to take a genuine interest in people. We, we saw that he is, he is genuinely interested in the deepest longings and, and the questions that people have. And, and when we look at other interactions he has in the gospel, he goes straight to the heart of people. What do you want? You remember the, the next question when he says, um, don't you get it? Again, talking to Nicodemus, here's one of the great teachers of Israel. And he's saying, don't you understand? You know, again, Nobody has a natural relationship with God because of our, our problem with sin. But if you put your faith in me, okay, I make that possible. You, you just have to be, what he says, born again. Next question, remember, do you want to be healed? He's with a man that can't walk. It sounds a bit like a, a, a patronizing or, or maybe sarcastic question, but we're reminded that Jesus comes as a Savior. And, and as a Savior, 
Jesus is not just the one who justifies, but Jesus also comes and he heals people. So he's, we see him healing people's bodies left and right. We, we see Jesus as the one who heals relationships. He is a healer. It's a part of his identity that we can't get around. The Pharisees, he's talking to them and says, how can you believe? He looks at a group of people that thought they were really religious and he says, look, how can you how can you really believe in God and really care what he thinks about, when you, about you when you are so caught up in what other thing, people think about you? How can you do that? In the story with Lazarus, where have you laid him? You remember we saw that even in the midst of the, the awful things that we experience in life and the experience that Lazarus' sisters experienced, God is with us and he is still present, even if he doesn't speak, and if, especially if he doesn't speak in the timing with which we would prefer. Or you might, might remember when he says, as Kevin reminded us last week, shall I drink the cup? Or shall I not drink this cup? He said, I'm, I'm willing to take on the judgment all of you deserve as I make this journey to the cross. And then today, children, do you have any fish? Hey, you want to come have breakfast? I made you breakfast. I'm alive. Okay, I'm here. And so two last questions I want to close with. Uh, first, for those of us who have read this story before, you know, we've looked at this series for the last several weeks in these different pieces of Jesus' identity. I want to ask you, which of these uh, are you more prone to overlook in your own walk, in your own relationship with God? Because for some of us, because of maybe our own church background, our own experiences, there are different parts of Jesus's identity that we, we kind of tend to not talk about or remember or neglect. So, so maybe it's uh, Jesus's role as a healer. There are some of us that it's easy to remember that Jesus is the one who, um, through which God forgave my sins, but we rarely remember Jesus's ministry of healing, both when we read the Bible and today. Or maybe it's Jesus' claim to be the only way to God, you know, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 3. Is that something that we ignore because we know that having a relationship with God requires a personal relationship with Jesus, but to say that to somebody else might sound so exclusive or maybe so offensive to somebody else that we really wonder, is that something that we should say? Or... Maybe that statement, shall I not drink this cup, okay, as Jesus is offering to take on our judgment. Ultimately, as Jesus is willing to take on all of our sin and all of our shame for everything that we, are, that we have ever done. Some of, us, um, some of us have an easier time believing in physical healing and the general forgiveness of our sins, or, or the, I'm sorry, the exclusivity of Christ, but we really have a hard time believing that Jesus will forgive me for everything that I've ever done. And we could go through every one of these. Which one of these are you most prone to overlook? And how might God be asking all of us in our own ways to be, to be pressing into identifying and beginning to pray over what is God wanting to show me about this area that I might tend to forget? But at the same time, lastly, th there might be some of us, again, that um, we're reading John's gospel for the first time and, and uh, we might not be a Christian. We might have preconceptions about Christianity or at least about Christians. And 
At the same time, we've actually spent very little time in John's gospel and looking at the person of Jesus and the way that he interacted with people. I want to encourage you, if you, I, just want to, I don't want to uh, avoid it. If you, if you come to a place where you might even say, I really believe and I want to follow him, talk to somebody about that, okay? Come, come forward um, after the service or sometime. Talk to us clergy. Talk to someone else at the church. We've got prayer available during communion as we come to the Lord's table. Talk to a prayer team. But I also want to encourage you, it doesn't have to be the case to, to talk to someone in that moment. If, if, if you've simply got questions and, and you don't want to talk to someone today, we've actually put something um, on the website uh, that's on the homepage, and I think they have it up for me. Let's see. Um, there's this microphone's been giving me trouble. There's this page right here. This is just very simple for anyone that would like to have time to, to think on their own. There's a very simple page on our website. When you click on a resource and it says questions of Jesus, if you'd like to read through John's gospel with someone, or if you, if you have questions um, that you'd like answered, just fill this out. This is confidential and it only goes to us as clergy. We'd love to be able to talk to you and, and give more answers for you. But, but let's, let's agree. I, th I think we can say this. Was this not, Lord have mercy, as we've walked through this, can we come to any other conclusion that this was the most compelling man that ever lived? And his life demands a response. I, I pray that it's continuing either to walk with him or to walk with him for the first time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this mosaic of of Jesus that you've painted for us these last number of weeks. Lord, we praise you that he is more compassionate and gracious and caring than we'd ever imagine. And yet he is bold as he commands us to believe and to follow him, Lord. Lord, for those of us uh, who know you, we pray that you would identify any areas of, of his life that we might be prone to neglect. And show us, Lord, what you want to teach us about that. Lord, for those of us who are simply learning more about him, Lord, we pray that you would give us further clarity as to whether he was indeed this, this man of Nazareth who lived and died and um, was raised and lives again today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.